Pastor, I don't normally do this. I'd like to introduce you this morning. Could I do that? Because I got the mic. I got the power. <laughs> I don't know if, me, uh, if many of you realize this, but Pastor and Brenda have been with us for some time. Isn't that right? And I believe August will be your 23rd anniversary with us. And I also believe you're going to be gone during that time. You're going to... So, let's stand. 23 years. That's a long time for a pastor to be at a church. Pastor, we love you and Brenda. We love you guys. Thank you. Behind every good man is a good woman. Love you, Pastor. Thank you. Yes. Yes. You know, I felt pretty sprite before he said 23 years, and I was like, oh, man, I suddenly got tired. Um, I hear that uh, Big Daddy and Sister Sharon's in the house somewhere. Where are you? There they are. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Well, good morning, everyone. Part two this morning. Hey, rich man. That's what I preached on last Sunday. Hey, rich man. Um, and I, took, I, I, I checked with Brenda when we prayed during altar time. I, said, I hope I was okay in just being so transparent about how, how stupid we were when we got married. So she said, sure, sure. We, we both knew we were stupid. So we, we, it didn't take us long to figure out we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> but God is merciful for those people who um, he just are needy. How about that? if I put it that way. Uh, but uh, And that was not in my notes last week at the end. That was just uh, inspired of the Lord, I think. So um, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 12. And, and I just want to say something about the backpacks. And um, four of us <clears throat> went door to door in uh, Forester Gardens. There's some people don't even want to go over there because of the crime that's happened there and, and the crime that continually goes on there. But um, I just seem to think that Jesus wouldn't look at that as off limits and that uh, where he went, he went where there was opposition, so, but there was always need. And I'm telling you, the need cannot be much greater than what it is over there. We, have, we never have anyone turning us down for prayer, not once. And uh, the interesting thing is, is if, if you've got time, they'll tell you all the things they need prayer for. And, but they, want, they, they know they're in desperate situations. So this week, be in prayer. This is one of the things when um, we created Grace First United Appeal Fund. It was created by Grace Church in our church years ago uh, to operate under the United uh, Appeal Fund that lets organizations get together for benevolent purposes. So we have to, by law, the state of Alabama, do two benevolence activities a year, and we usually do more than that. But we do the Christmas uh, dinner packages for Forester Gardens. We also do this backpack we've been doing, and it gives us a chance to pray with people. So if you want to come help pack the backpacks, like Jim was saying, Thursday at 3.30, we're praying over them as we put them from pre-K all the way up through high school, Almost all the children uh, over here are going to Northerton, Eastwood, and then into Bryant High School. So 
This is our neighborhood. This is where we need to be. So I just want to encourage you. And, and of course, when we distribute the backpacks, there's going to be refreshments. You can be a greeter. You can serve refreshments. You can be back here where they pick up the backpacks. Or if you really want to be in, in where it's red hot, get in one of the prayer rooms. And, and pray with these people because it is, it'll just be a blessing. You'll be more blessed than, they, than they're blessed. That's what happens to me. All right, if you found um, Luke chapter 12, I'm going to zero in on this part two on one particular phrase that Jesus mentions in this story. <clears throat> that you remember, he's just preaching and teaching to the disciples and and what Luke says at the start of this chapter, many thousands of people are around him. And so right in the middle of him teaching and ministering, this guy yells out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Totally outside of the subject matter that Jesus is dealing with. So he, he deals with that. He deals with that guy. He doesn't say too much other than he asks a question at the start. Man... Who made me a judge and an arbiter between you and your brother? In other words, this is not my matter to resolve. And then he began to tell people that the abundance of things, life is not made up of the abundance of things. Hey, how about that, huh? That, that's a good idea. Life is not, does not consist, consist of the abundance of things. So then he tells this parable and what I'm about to read is, is, is a continuation of that parable toward the end of it. And this is, I'm going to read verse 19 and verse 20. <clears throat> so this man in the parable has this bumper crop, and he says to his soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Unlike parables, I mentioned this last Sunday, Jesus hardly ever talks about God talking to someone in a parable. But here he talks. He says, God said to this man, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. That's not what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the rest of it. And now, who will own what you have prepared? Those final words. And now, who will own what you have prepared? Who will own it? You know, we, we've talked about people who, when they, how much do they leave, whether it's a Rockefeller, when they die? Well, the answer is they, live, they leave all of it. But we can come to that kind of a reasonable, maybe even a, a joking answer to that. But there's, there's a point to this that Jesus is making. Who will get what you have put in your new barns, which are no longer your barns? They're not your barns anymore, and what's in them is not yours anymore, but who will they be? Who will they belong to? Who will have possession of that? And there's some points I'm going to give you this morning, and just follow with me. The first point is this. All of us have something to leave. All of us have something to leave to someone else. When we're at the end of our journey, we will leave something it might not be monetary, but we will leave something out of the essence of our lives. I remember going to a funeral over in Jacksonville. We happened to be there. My brother-in-law and I, he was on staff with me at this church. And one of the guys that knew very well, his wife and daughter was in the church very much, but he hardly ever came to church. 
And the pastor then was preaching his funeral, and Terry and I thought we'd, we went to the wrong funeral. Because when he said this particular man was so happy, we looked at each other and said, we've done come to the wrong funeral. Because I never saw that guy happy. He left, he left piles of money to his family because he was a very successful commercial heating and air contractor in the city of Jacksonville. House on the St. John's River, there was no question that monetarily he left them in good standing. But emotionally and spiritually, I think probably the greatest or the most recognized legacy he left is that he mastered criticism. I've never walked into his office that he wasn't criticizing. Here, here's a preacher I would go to church on Sunday, but all those people going to the cafeteria causing the air conditioners to break. That's the reason I don't go to church on Sunday. And it was always, these immigrants coming in are, are making my job. To, it was the government. It was, it was somebody. I never walked in to hear him say anything good. He was just mad at the world. And I'm talking, we come to the wrong funeral. This guy was, he left a different, but every, you see, everybody leaves something. What will you leave? And we'll get to that a little bit more specifically in just a moment. When we discover what life is really about, when we discover the purpose for our life, the purpose of life is not the stuff we have. When we realize that the purpose of life is what? Just think about what is the purpose of life? Why was man created? Well, he was created to know God and to enjoy him forever. So that's what we, when you realize that, then you really begin to value what you're going to leave people. You really value the kind of legacy you're going to leave. You know, you could say to this guy in the parable, hey, rich man, those crops you put in those barns, who do they belong to? You see, in the parable, he never realized they were really his. They were God's. That harvest that he had wasn't by accident. Whether you say God manipulates the weather or not, but, you know, this is why he tried to stress to all of his people that follow him, honor me with everything you get. Honor me, show your appreciation to me for blessing what you have. And so Jesus gives this question or repeats this question that God would say to him, whose stuff is this? So do you see the point? Do you get the point? Now, this is not going to be a depressing message. I'm sorry. Don't get too bad. But the point is the reality of death, mortality. This guy in the story did not think that he was going to be at any moment facing death. And God tells him, you're a fool for thinking that. You're a fool for thinking that you've got your future plan. You're going to live off the resources of what you were blessed with. From now on, you're not going to worry about anything else in your life. You're just going to take your ease. You're going to coast through the rest of your life. And the Lord says, not even for one day. You won't even be around tomorrow to go out and look at your new barns. Because you won't be here. You'll be gone. Then what? That's the second point. 
then what? All of has something to leave, but then what? I remember the first time I was approached about Brenda and I getting a will made. We were young. We had small children. And this is, this is what was going on. We were at a church in Penn, Florida, Peninsula, Florida District Council. And uh, anybody ever been across the Suwannee River? And notice he went across the Suwannee River. Anybody? It cuts right across diagonally, Florida. And from the Suwannee River south and east is the Penn, Florida district of the Assemblies of God. From the Suwannee River this way and across the Panhandle is known as West Florida. First 15 years of our ministry was in the Penn, Florida district council. And so they had this uh, promotion going on and they wanted every church to have a wheel planning cleaning, to have... Wayne Blackburn came in, and he now pastors a very large church in Lakeland, Florida. He came in, and, and he set up sessions with all kinds of people who were interested. I, wasn't not, I was not going to do it because like, we didn't have anything to leave anybody, right? That's what we thought. I said, we don't have anything to leave anybody. We can leave them our bills, but we don't, we don't have anything to really leave them. And he says, no, you're the pastor. You need to do this. Okay, we'll do it for the sake of being the leader. But in that discussion, and by the way, West Florida District Council did something. Jason Loper sent us some pictures from Nepal. West Florida District Council, the Assemblies of God, was the main financial backing to take the full-life study Bible called the Fire Bible and translate it into the Nepali language, and they just got it finished and were handing it out to people, and you ought to have seen the pictures of pastors getting a full-life study Bible in their language. So there is something that can good come out of West Florida, if anybody doubted that. But we sat down in that session, and Wayne started talking to us, and he started thinking, well, here's, what, hap- what would happen if both of you were killed in an accident? Well, that's such a wonderful thought to think, isn't it? You know, but they was going through all these scenarios, like, well, you know, who, what would you do with your children? I said, well, I never thought about that. And then I remembered something that kind of like, wow, we we really need to get serious about this, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But let me let me read you, and I and I have my will with me this morning. Don't get worried. I'm just I'm not going through it like verbatim. But this is I think this is the first time I got to thinking about this message, and I went and dug it out of our safe and read it for the first time. <laughs> Since we signed it. And I was surprised some of the things we said in here. I said, what were we thinking? But none of that is going to happen because all the people that we were leaving stuff to are, are gone. So, but it was, it was to focus on if that happened, what is the responsible thing for you to do? And I remembered something before I take you to that in just a moment. I'm going to read you a part that's got like all these different scenarios, but listen to this one. In the event, this is such uplifting stuff. In the event my wife above name shall predecease me, or in the event she shall fail to survive me by 60 days, wonderful thought, and in the event that both my wife and I shall perish in mutual accident or disaster under circumstances, rendering it impossible to determine 
The survivor and my youngest surviving child named or described therein is under age 21. Then and under those conditions only, I give, devise, bequeath 100% of the rest and residue and remainder of my property, real, personal, and all assets. This is not legal language, just bear with me. All assets of every kind of description and any interest in property which I may own at the time of my death to my trustee herein named in trust for my surviving children above named and any of all of my children then living even though they were born to me or adopted by me. That didn't happen. Adopted by me after the executionist's will with this trust a state to be governed under the terms and conditions of Article 5 of this will Provided, however, if I live until my youngest surviving child reaches the age of 21, this, this was Kelly, this trust provision of my will shall be null and void and surviving beneficiaries, beneficiaries shall take property under another article of this will. Did you get that? We made it. <laughs> Didn't have to worry about that article. But I, I, I've got to add some codicils to this. <laughs> And uh, that's a fancy word meaning you alter or uh, a change the wording of your will. You know what a codicil is, don't you? So here's what I remembered. I remembered um, a couple, Noel and Shirley Davis, who would come to our house in Harpersville when we were young children and would give us piano lessons. And, and pretty much Noel was the one who taught piano. And... Um, and all of a sudden, we heard the tragic news that they were en route to a conference somewhere and was driving through Missouri, and a tire blew on their car on Highway 60 near Mansfield, Missouri, and it plunged them down a 60-foot ravine, and both of them were killed instantly. They had left an infant daughter with her parents, and not only was the tragedy so pronounced in the Sylacauga area and, and everybody who knew them just was shocked, sadly there was a power struggle between both sets of grandparents as to who would get that little girl. And it turns out the maternal grandparents raised her, gave her their last name, and now she attends Sylacauga First Assembly and, <clears throat> and is a very close friend of Becky, my sister. Now, here's the headstone that I want you to see. I found uh, there in Evergreen Cemetery right there in that area. And it was 1962 when this happened. A tragic accident. But even more on the tragedy was they had no stipulation as to what would happen to their children. So, when I thought about this, and we were talking about Will, I said, you know, what, what if that happened to us? What, the, what if that happened to us? So, we called her sister and her husband, Terry, Susan Bailey, and says, listen, we're doing this, Will. Just want to check with you. If anything happens to us together and one or both of our children survive us, if we're all in an accident... We want to put you as a trustee in our will. And he said, well, absolutely. And he says, and will you do that for us? <laughs> so I guess they decided to do a will too. So I called him up. Obviously, none of that happened, and you can take that off the screen. 
But the will, I, I, I was going through it just because this message made me think about whose stuff will that be. And uh, I, I am going to have to add some codicils. But let me just bring attention to your mind something else. You remember when Isaiah walked in to, uh, to uh, King Hezekiah and he was sick and he was on his bed and uh, the Lord had told him, says, you, you go tell Hezekiah he, that he's going to die from this. And so he walked into his bedroom and he said, King, um, uh, you need to get your house in order. You need to set your house in order because this is, this is going to kill you. You're going to die. And Isaiah walks out of the house and leaves. And while he's en route home, the Holy Spirit speaks to him because back in Hezekiah's bedroom, he's the king of Israel or king of Judah. He rolls over on his bed and faces the wall and he begins to beg and plead with God, please extend my life. Please give me an extension of my life. And the Lord heard his prayer, answered his prayer, told him what he was going to do and told Isaiah, go back and tell him. Well, I'm glad that didn't trip me. Go back and tell him. Well, I got my wheel right here, so. <laughs> How about that for an object lesson, huh? That'd be a terrible way to go, so. But he goes, he goes back and he tells him, all right. You know, it's almost like you don't have to have, set your house in order. You know, like, I hope he didn't tell him that. But he says, okay, God is going to give you 15 more years. And everybody just so happy. They're clapping and they're so excited. And he and his family are so excited. Three years after he gets that extension, he has another child. The child's name is Manasseh. And 13 years or 12 years later, Hezekiah dies. He gets the 15-year limit. Now, here's the thing. Here's the moral of that story. It's always easier to ask God for more time than to do what you're supposed to do. It's always easier to ask God for bonus. He wasn't only telling Hezekiah, you need to get a pen out and write out your last will and testament because you're going to die. He's also saying, you need to get whatever's wrong in your house, you need to get it sorted out. And he did not do that. And you said, Pastor, how do you know? Because when his 12-year-old son became king, how many know that you should not give power to a 12-year-old? And ultimate power as a monarch... And Manasseh went crazy, absolutely crazy. He worshipped everything but God. He lived such a narcissistic life that he was characterized by God as the most evil and wicked king ever to sit on David's throne. In fact, he sat on that throne for 50 years, and God, because of Manasseh's sin, told Judah their days as a nation were numbered. It was not going to happen in Manasseh's life, but because of Manasseh, because of the influence that he had on the nation, God says, I'm going to take Judah down because it was easier for a king to ask for a bonus of time than to get his house in order. He was, God was telling him, 
He says, well, did God know that? Yes, he absolutely knew everything. He knew what was going to happen down the road. And he knew we would read this story. And he knew that we would need sometimes a motivation to look back on someone else's story and say, that is not what I want to repeat. I don't want to leave my house in disorder. I don't want to leave. When I leave, I don't want to leave things undone. So here's the next thing. Next point. To whom do we leave what? Now, I got a lot of stuff in here. I signed this not thinking it was October the 6th. You don't know how old this is? October the 6th, 1983. 1983. Kelly was three and Jason was eight. So, you know, maybe it was fear, morbid fear. Oh, we need to do something about our kids if we die or something. But all of, the, all of those articles that had all those possibilities are not null and void. There was other things mentioned that none of those possibilities are now in place. But there was a measure in my will that was worth, I think it cost us $54 in an attorney's fee to have this done. And that item in my will was well worth that. It wasn't necessarily whatever we have, whatever we may find ourselves to have, and that stuff we leave to specific people it, it comes down to this bottom line. We wrote a tithe into our will. And for the life of me, I did not remember how it was broken down until I read this. And I thought, whoa, we're going to have to write a codicil for that. We, <laughs> we're going to, you know, as while we're feeling good, we need to do that, Okay. And this is, this is the general counsel was, was in it and, and the Penn, Florida. And then I realized why they were having a clinic for will. <laughs> Maybe I was too stupid in 83 to see it. But 10% of whatever we had with life insurance, whatever we had left, 10% of it was going to three, three different ways, divided in three different ways. The general counsel was going to get a third. That, they'd get that $54 back real quick. The Penn Florida District Council is going to get a third, and Northside Assembly of God now, First Coast Christian Center, would get a third. And I didn't realize it, that that would be the law if I don't change it. Now, Pastor Perry Fusella is at First Coast Christian Center, and a wonderful pastor, but I don't love him enough or the church enough <laughs> to give them part of my tithe. I, I don't love the general counsel or the Penn, Florida district counsel, or for that matter of fact, I don't know if you need to hit the pause button up there on that record, <laughs> or the Alabama district counsel to include them in my tithe. But I can tell you this, I do love TFA enough that when I write that codicil, you just give me room because I'm going to have me a worship service. Because no matter what I leave... I want this church to get a tithe off of it. And they will get a tithe, and you don't, you don't pray for our demise now just for that to happen. I'm, I knew for a long time I'm worth more to Brenda dead than I am alive, so y'all need to keep us in your prayers. But I want to make sure that when we leave, we honor God. 
and I want to honor this place. This is the great love of my heart. Not this building, but this place. This group of people. This is what I... And to your children and to your grandchildren, however time the Lord gives us, and when we are done, I want my life, when it's over with, still be a blessing. Still be a blessing. Now, I don't know if anybody in the church has ever left that in their will. Maybe they have some time back. I don't know. But I am so excited to know that if I leave by death before Jesus comes back and, and her and I both, this place is going to get the first cut of whatever's left. And hopefully you won't have to pay anything that it will be positive. It will, it, will be, it will be, I don't think they can do that to you anyway. But I want to refer in closing before we get to the, the finish here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this does not have to do with money, but it has to do with the principle I'm talking about. Paul is talking about what a steward, what is stewardship? And what a, what's important about stewardship? He, he starts chapter 4 this way. Let a man regard us in this manner. Let people regard, he's talking about he and his team, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God, the mysteries of God. And then in verse 2 he says, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Because when we understand that what we have is not really ours, because the moment you breathe your last breath and, breathe, and I breathe my last breath, I will not own a single thing. My ownership is done. I can, I can leave it to all kind of trust, and, but it will be somebody else over it. I, I, won't be, I won't be the one over it. And so he says a steward, when they realize that there's a responsibility, the one who's given them. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 12, the latter part of verse 48, uh, Jesus talks about to whom much is given, much is required. That the more people have, the more they're responsible to God as to how they manage it. And how do they manage it? God's way. They do it as a trustworthy, faithful steward. Do you realize that Jesus left his last will and testament on the night of his, of his betrayal and arrest? He actually wrote his last will and testament in a way at that dinner. And what did he leave them? Well, one thing we don't know, or one thing we realize he did not leave them, was any monetary funds. Because the treasure was gone. And he took everything that they had with that little purse dangling from his belt. And who knows who got what was in that belt after he hung himself. But Judas and the money was gone. There was nothing to leave these men. He says, by the way, how much do we have in our account? Well, we don't have an account. And money never came into, into the discussion around that table. It had to do with more what he wanted to leave them from himself. Here's what he left them. He gave them the example of servanthood, did he not? 
when he put a towel around his waist and picked up some water and went around and began to wash their feet. And he says, I'm doing this to give you an example of what I want you to do for each other. It's to serve. You advance in the kingdom not by authority and power, but you advance by service. Boy, do we need a revival of that. That we are called to serve each other, not rule over each other, but to serve each other. Secondly, he promised them that he would give them power to do what he had started, to continue the work of God, that he would give them power they needed to continue what he started. The third thing is that he gave them, he left them in in no uncertain terms, I will come back. He told them, I will leave you, and they all got upset about that. He said, but don't, don't let that trouble you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe what I'm telling you. Because I'm going to come back. I'm not going to leave permanently. I'm coming back. And then he made a blood covenant with them, which is the strongest covenant possible. He joined himself to them, and and he wanted them to be joined to him because of what was going on at that meal, the blood covenant. And then he left them probably one of the greatest things. He showed them how to die as a man of God. They all watched him die. And they didn't see someone begging for mercy or complaining about the injustice of it all. They heard someone from the cross forgiving people. They heard someone from the cross asking one of them, John, this is now your mother, and mother, this is your son. I want to make sure you're taking care of it. Isn't that what a will and testament is about? He was leaving her, he was the oldest of his siblings. It was his responsibility. She was probably widowed. We know that Joseph wasn't mentioned after the age of 12, and something happened to Joseph. But Jesus was her, her ticket. There was no social security. There was no system in place. He was responsible for her. And he's passing that responsibility. This is kind of like, the, he's now my trustee. He's going to be responsible for my mother. If there ever was a depiction of a video of a will and testament is what Jesus did on the cross. And he was showing them the responsibility to be a good steward of his mother. And they saw him die. And you know what is the last thing he did? He used the words of a will. I'm leaving Something to someone. Remember what he left? He gave his spirit into the hands of his father. He was he had something to leave. He didn't have he he didn't even have a robe anymore. They stole everything he had. They took everything from him. They stripped him of any anything material. But he was still giving what he had to those he could trust. And what he was doing there, and if the uh, one serving communion can come up and get ready. I was looking for the table where the... Oh, it's out there. Um, And what he was doing there, he was actually saying to everybody and to this father... I have power to lay my life down and I have power to raise it back up. 
but I'm voluntarily laying down my right to raise my own life up. When that last will and testament, the last thing he said was his trust in the Father, he placed the entire scenario of his death into the hands of his Father. He said, I'm trusting you when you want to, to raise me up from the dead. That's a sign of a good steward at the end of the way. Now, my point is this to you. What are you going to leave? What kind of, what kind of life are you leaving your family? What kind of model are you leaving? I don't, you know, I don't think, I, I hope I continue on for a long time. But none of us are guaranteed that, are we? Lauren, if you can come to the keyboard. And uh, we're going to have the Lord's Supper in just a moment. But here's what I want to stress to you. Don't, don't wait until you start drafting this. And by the way, if you don't have one of these, you should draft this. If you have small children, you should do this. What happened to Noel and Shirley Davis was horrific. But what happened afterwards was so sad. The two Christian families who loved God fought over that little girl. And it didn't have to happen that way. If they just had it in writing that her parents, and, and they both verbally wanted, and I think that's what swayed the judge, to give the, Chris to her maternal grandparents. And they finished raising her. But whatever, whatever family you have, you need something like this. If you're going to be a good steward, and everybody in this room ought to write your tithe into your will. You know how, you know how I look at this? I don't know how, if the Lord tears and how I will decease. But this might be a bad motivation I just want to feel like that when I'm gone, I'm still poking my finger in the devil's eye. See, I tithe and I'm not even around anymore, huh? I'm giving to God and I'm not even there. And I'm still giving to God. See? And maybe that's a bad motivation, but it just kind of like makes me feel better about doing that. And someone says, well, the devil was so glad to see Jesus die. no. He wasn't. If you ever think that he had a celebration because Jesus died, Carmen's song is not theologically sound. There was no partying in hell. You know how I know that? Because one of Jesus' disciples, meaning well, jumped up in front of him one day and says, you cannot die. And what did Jesus say to him? He didn't say, Peter, you got it all wrong. He said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. If there's anything the devil wanted to stop was the crucifixion of Jesus. He knew what that was. That, that wasn't a celebration for him. He was crushing the skull of the enemy when he died and was raised again. Lord, I pray this morning that we would have a new sense that None of what we are 
we gave to ourselves. Our abilities, our talents, the skills, somewhere all of that was in our DNA and, and you helped us see where our bent was and what we were really good at and what we weren't good at. But it's all part of the one you created us to be. We recognize that you recreated us in a way that is not any further, any longer about us. It's about you. So as we come and we take these elements, the cup, which is the, your blood shed for us, the new covenant that was established through your, your blood on the cross, and the bread that is of your body broken for us, so that we can be well and we can be whole and there's people in this room that need healing in their bodies. And I pray, oh Lord, that today what you have left us would have an effect on us and your power would flood through our beings and heal us and restore us because you left us that. You left that covenant for us. And so as we step forward, Lord, we want to walk by faith today and trust and know that what you have left us is real and true and powerful. And we feel compelled today to offer our lives as living sacrifices to you and surrender ourselves to you. Lord, help us in this room to be people of faith and to say it's by your death and resurrection that we have eternal life. And we celebrate that today. Not a defeat, but a glorious victory that lodges hope within our soul that it's going to be worth it one day. Would you stand with me?